Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. To the phone lines we go. 317-239-1070. It is Kyle Nenrip of the Indianapolis Star that joins us now. Hello, my friend. Hello, Greg. How are you? I'm good, buddy. Have you uh, loaded up the Conestoga wagon to head south yet? Did you decide on what game you were covering tonight? If I can get in the door, I'm going to try to. I, I heard it's going to be a and, and probably as expected a, a packed house down there. So I'm going to try to get down there, yeah, and see uh, Brownstown Central tonight. Uh, so there would be Brownstown Central in Jennings County, and I'm sure they're not going to charge you for a ticket. I'm sure they're going to let you, as a working member of the media, arrive at the game, and once they know whom you are and the <laughs> statewide scope in which you have, they will give you the best seat in the house. Well, I think I can get in the door. A seat is another matter, I think, entirely. But I, I, I said, hey, if I can get in the door, I'm fine with wherever, because uh, that's going to be a fun atmosphere tonight, I think. So, yeah, ch- chance to see uh, Jack Benner, obviously, and in the uh, Jennings County team, which is uh, off to a great start this year. So, you know, it should be a fun environment down there. I am guarantee it'll be a fun environment. I hear there is a new Brownsburg player I need to scout. Is this correct? Cannon Catchings, yes, he's uh, <laughs> he's quite the uh, player. Uh, yeah, but no, I uh, yeah, my son's getting a little time. He's all pretty much all JV though. So, uh, but yeah, that's a really good team this year. Obviously, I heard he got some run in the uh, in the Phil Cox tourney. Is that correct? I didn't get us to go, but yeah, Rob uh, Rob was doing the game for you guys, and all of a sudden he texts me. He's like, "I think your son's about to get in the game here." So I was like, "Man, they must be they must be playing pretty well if that's the case." So, uh, but yeah, good for you know he he's hard works hard at it. So I'm glad he's having uh, a good season. So now, does that mean, assuming Brownsburg gets a win tonight in the Hendricks County tournament, that I see you tomorrow night at Danville? You get you get to go be a dad on a Saturday night. No, I don't know. Probably not. I'm probably going to go to. Uh, I'm planning to go see Westfield and Carmel, which I ha- I haven't seen uh, Westfield this year. I've traded some some texts with uh, Shane up there at Westfield, and and they're they're having a really good season. So I haven't seen them yet. So I think that's what I'm planning on doing. But uh, but yeah, obviously they've got Alex Romack and and Trey Buchanan and guys like that. But I don't think people no maybe expected them to have this type of year. So you know, and they had they probably have a lot of meat to their schedule yet to get into but even still i mean they're they're uh i think one of those teams that's uh maybe slight surprise you know so far this season so you know shane's done a great job there and i think what you see there is probably some carryover of a uh you know a championship team from last year even though your main guys braden smith and cam hafner you know have graduated but uh you've got some guys who are part of that so i think that's I'm I'm looking forward to seeing them play against a really good Carmel team is, is my plan for now. No, I had Westfield on Tuesday. It's the second time I've had them this year. And really, the two guys you mentioned are the two guys that had any level of playing time on last year's sectional championship team. I was very um, pleasantly surprised. That's what I saw on Tuesday night because I obviously knew they were 6-1 and one going in. Buchanan had a bit of an ankle injury, missed a couple of games. It was against kind of lesser competition. Westfield really didn't, didn't miss him in those games. He was great.
great on Tuesday. He had 25 points. Uh, for those who know, that's Chad Buchanan's son uh, of Indiana Pacers, uh, front office fame, if you will. Romax is a really good high school basketball player. Um, they and Mount Vernon both. I thought that was a unique mix of those two teams on Tuesday because they're two teams that basically barely returned anything off of last mm-hmm. year's sectional championships, and, and they're and they're going to be good again. I know you've already written about Mount Vernon having three freshman starters uh, that, that Ben Rhodes is putting together. Let's talk about a team that you and I have seen a lot of and a team that I will see tonight. Um, let's talk about Ben Davis. Uh, to me, the team that Ben Davis reminds me of is Warren Central five years ago uh, in terms not just their and-o portion, whether they're going to run the table or not, but that Warren Central team didn't have any truly high-end D1 recruits. Obviously, they had a future NFL player on their team and David Bell, and I don't know, maybe Mark Zachary is, is that kid for Ben Davis, but for this Ben Davis group, they just got seven or eight kids that can really play. Your thoughts on that comparison? I like it. I've actually thought about that, you know, and that that's something, um, you know, I would give the advantage, uh, you know, and who knows, I mean, how it plays out. No, no one's going to, you know, that, that Warren central team can never lose now. You know, so that, that's the thing about them is their, their, their records in the books uh, at this point. And, and I covered that team a lot that year and they always just, they would go a half or three quarters without impressing you. And then they would find a way to win. You know, they'd find a way every single time. And, you know, they weren't an incredibly deep team. You know, Chris Byers didn't play. You know, they didn't go super deep into their bench. But they were similar to Ben Davis in that all five guys who are out there are, are always a threat, which is which I think is very similar to this Ben Davis team uh, because, you know, you can't you can't lay off Sean. All of a sudden, I was talking to a coach the other day. It's like uh, an opposing coach who said, you know, you may have all everybody guarded pretty well or you feel like you're doing a good job on, on Zane Dowdy and Sheridan Sharp, and then Sean Arnold goes and gets an offensive rebound or two or he makes an open shot, and all of a sudden it's like, you know, you, you can't forget about him. You know, sometimes there's guys on the floor with with certain teams who it's like, all right, we don't need to concentrate on them as much. Or, you know, and then you look at the Hall of Fame and Mark Zachary with what he did, you know, and, and all of a sudden everybody knows who he is now. And he's a really good player. On most teams he'd be starting and, and uh, you know, getting a ton of time. He doesn't always get that on this team, which, it, you know, Arnold and Zachary are those kind of guys who – they don't need the spotlight, but they can, you know, they can they can earn it uh, in a given game or you know pair of games like we saw with Zachary. So that's the you know, I would say it is a good comparison. I don't want to you know say I don't know who's better you know, and it's if Ben Davis doesn't win the championship, they won't be remembered like that Warren team was obviously. But they have all the you know, everyone you talk to and what you see, it's like they are the best team on January 6th, you know, so, you know, things can change, you know, you never know. It's funny how basketball works. Sometimes you can have a little, um, you know, hiccup or a little thing change and then your, your chemistry's off. So there's a long way to go. And I think, uh, I think they have the right, uh, mentality for it though, because their defense travels, you know, they're always there. They play hard. Um, and, and I think they have, veteran leadership that's very uh, grounded I, I was joking with Sheridan Sharp after the Hall of Fame he you know he almost immediately he's like we've got to be better in the first half and it's like we got to and I was like Sheridan well enjoy this I'm glad you're thinking like a coach though because I know that's <laughs> what, what the, I know that's what Don Carlisle wants but make sure you enjoy it too because he's you know that that's a big deal to win the Hall of Fame but uh, but that, I think that also shows you like they're not they're not getting the, putting the, the the card ahead you know they're they're definitely 
Uh, they know they have work to do, and I think that's a good thing, And ultimately. Going into the season, we had a favorite for Mr. Basketball. At the midway point of the season, who is the favorite for Mr. Basketball? You know, I would I would give a slight edge to Marcus Burton uh, right now, even though they, they didn't win the Hall of Fame, and I think, you know, even he would tell you, you know, he wished he would have played better, uh, but... I didn't think he played poorly. You know, I, I think he uh, he was pushed and challenged by Mark Zachary in that Ben Davis defense, and and he didn't shoot it tremendously well. And he also, I know he was battling a a little bit of a toe injury in the second game, and he was more of a facilitator, which uh, he can do that for sure. And he didn't look much slower to me, but I know he was uh, had a little bit of a big toe, toe injury. But with what he's done so far, and I think. You know, from a career standpoint and a season standpoint, I think there's still more work to do. Uh, and I, I don't think it's a big jump from him to Miles Colvin or uh, Xavier Booker. I think Xavier Booker, people forget, I think all of a sudden, like, what a second half of the season he had last year. You know, you can't just throw that out either. And, and there's bigger games coming for him. Uh, but right now, I, I think it's fair to, to think maybe Burton's got an edge. I think, you know, Colvin's going to have some work to do. I saw him the other night, and he was incredible. But uh, their their team record's going to have to to pick up, and they're probably going to have to do some some damage here later in the season uh, in, in the tournament, which is going to be tough in their sectional. So. You know, but I think those are the guys you probably look at that that are probably the, you know, the ones going into the season you thought would would be at the front of the line, and and you know I think Burton to this point is probably uh, maybe a nose ahead. Kyle, as always, my, I appreciate your time, my friend. We'll talk again soon. Safe travels this evening. All right, anytime. Thanks for having me on, Greg. Kyle Nenrip of the Indianapolis Star joins us on the guest line brought to us by the Mower Shop and Fishers and the MowerShop.com for all your snowblower, commercial and residential mowers, plus service and power tools. The Mower Shop is where uh, my mower happens to be from. Should be where yours is from, too. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. KB at 2. Once again, the Marion University football coach, Ted Karras, at 2.30. But right now on the Mower Shop guest line, it is Scott Agnes. And, you know, Scott, I normally say of Fieldhouse Files, uh, do I need to change the attribution as to where fans can now find your work online? Uh, you can add 1070 the fan as well. There you go. We're kind of working with a partnership for sure with with everyone over there, which I'm excited about. But FieldhouseFiles.com continues to be the primary source for everything. Uh, now we just added another avenue, another bucket, as we like to say. Well, welcome back to the team uh, here at uh, here at the fan, and uh, obviously. You. There's going to be a lot of folks that all of a sudden now are going to start paying a lot more attention to the Pacers, given how they have been playing. Frankly, that attention should have been given to them weeks ago. If I had told you that, you know, 40 games in, this team would have been above 500, your reaction would have been what? No way, man. No way. (laughs) Nobody believed that. Um, I, I mean, even people over there, uh, off Delaware Street with the Pacers. I mean, they brought media in before the season to say, hey, be patient with us. We're going to need you. You're going to need us. Let's, let's realize 
this is a big picture decision. We're tired of being on the treadmill of mediocrity, meaning we don't want to be the seven, eight, nine seed year after year. We want to get special. We want to have another chance at a couple top draft picks and build on what we already have, create a culture with, to their credit, I think they've done a phenomenal job of this year. And in large part due to that, the personalities and things clicking faster than anyone could imagine, Greg. Yeah, they're three games over 500, playing well, and uh, all positive things for the most part over there. All right, so with that, at 40 games in, as of tonight, 21 and 18 heading into the Blazers matchup, which you can hear right here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Has the plan now changed? Do you alter anything long-term? Because clearly you are ahead of schedule as to where you plan you would be. Yeah, that, that's the number one question right now. And I will say from the front office side, we haven't got any clear indication just yet. Um, I, I think from what I've learned, what it seems more likely than not is for them to continue on, meaning they're not big sellers by any means. And I think that was one thing the NBA kind of community is curious about is, are there going to be any big sellers? Will this trade deadline even live up to any kind of hype that maybe was thought of before the season when you wondered about the Pacers, you wondered about the Utah Jazz, you wondered would the Lakers be on the other side of that? And with LeBron re-signing uh, signing a contract extension in the summer, would that provide some motivation here and some urgency for the Lakers to be big buyers on the other side of it? Uh, short answer with the Pacers here is I think they're going to continue to look to find ways to maybe find their way into deals. But I right now don't expect you know any kind of grand sell-off or them feeling the urgency to move off many of guys. The number one decision in all this, Greg, that they will have to have some clarity on over the next month is Miles Turner. Sure. Being in a contract year, they have to know about his future. Either will it be here or else you have to trade him or else you lose him for absolutely nothing in the summer. Has that, um, again, the, it's a similar question instead of about it's an individual instead of a, of, a, of a team, but has the feeling about Miles Turner changed as to what his role with this franchise? Because in October, man, we're like, man, look at all these pictures that don't include Miles Turner. You know, that, that, that seemingly Miles is not in the marketing of this team going forward. You know, he's he's been here for a while, but it's not going to be him going forward. Now has his or the team's or even the fan base's idea on what Miles's role going forward has that changed? Yeah, doesn't it seem like the fan base has warmed up to him yep. even more so? Uh, and I want to give him credit. I feel like, especially nationally, Miles takes a lot of hits. He's always in trade rumors. He's you know does he even want to be there? I, I I think he's made it clear he wants to be here. In the trade rumors, one it has nothing of his doing, and two he really hasn't been in serious trade talks. Very often, his name is just floated out there for obvious reasons. Pacers have had too many bigs. They still do, honestly, right now. There was a serious offer to the Boston Celtics back in 2020 for Gordon Hayward, which Danny Ainge, uh, I believe, still made a mistake in not doing and essentially lost Hayward for nothing to Charlotte. That's a different conversation. With In terms of Miles' future with the Pacers, I, I honestly, Greg, believe it will come down more than anything to what number he and the Pacers will be comfortable with with a potential contact renegotiation moving forward. We don't know what that number is. I think it'll certainly be over $20 million. He's making 18 right now. The Pacers did sign DeAndre Ayton to a, a 
restricted offer sheet, which he signed and then was matched, obviously, by Philly. That was for over $30 million for a starting center, but he's four years younger. Maybe somewhere in between. Uh, I will also say Miles has always been loyal. He didn't necessarily expect to be here at the start of training camp. Uh, that was one thing I asked him on day one is, did you expect to be here? And he's like, you know what, that's a good question. Basically saying, no, not really. Um, and so I think what we've seen is him – perform way better greg here this season for three reasons probably primarily injuries he's outside of that fluke injury to start the season where he rolled his ankle he's been relatively healthy two he's playing with the best point guard of his career and three he's the he's back in his natural position as a starting five and over the last eight games in fact now he's the only big they're starting aaron neesmith rather than jalen smith at that four which uh, opens things up even more, I think, for Miles. All right, so with that, and because you have so many guys on rookie deals for the next two, three, or even Benedict Matherin's case for the next four <laughs> years, you can kind of afford to even oh, – you don't want to give away money, but you can give Miles a bit more of a sweetheart deal because you're so young around him, correct? Correct, and the main thing that would be enticing for the Pacers right now – is they have some of the most cap space in the league, around right. $25 million roughly. And they're going to have to or want to spend some of that here before the end of the, the fiscal year, meaning the end of June. Uh, they still need to get to the salary floor. So why not, for example, if you do want to resign Miles and make it work with both sides, you could front load that contract, offloading some of that, uh, or really maximizing, I should say, some of that free cap space this year, and then you have a de-escalating contract. I mean, it decreases over the next several years if Miles would agree to something like that. That's a deal like Buddy Heel has, where his contract next year, which is his last year, actually gets cheaper, um, which is enticing, certainly. So that that's one of the intriguing options about bringing back Miles. But you do have to reconsider then the other guys, right? Because right now, Isaiah Jackson's fallen out of the rotation. Goga Bataze. He won't be back presumably next year. He's out of the rotation and will become a free agent. Uh, and then you also uh, you know, have a, a Daniel Tice under contract right now. Perhaps that's a guy you could move. But I think he's really warmed up to the idea of playing with this team. He's been out with injuries. But uh, you know, a guy like him had to reset his expectations, too, coming from a finals team last year to the Pacers thought to be rebuilding and now they're a 21-win team. So it's just also complicated, but for a good reason, and that's because of this surprising success. All right, so now this would be an idea that would have been if, – if 21 and 18 going into January 6th would have been a foreign concept, the idea of potentially buying, not selling at the trade deadline uh, would also be something that would be a foreign concept. Could you see this team going out – and I'm not saying a star – but just like a, an, an experienced guy off the bench, something where you're not giving up a lot to go and get that player. It's, it's second-round draft picks to be named later. Could this team actually be a buyer in February? Well, yeah, there's two ways in which I think this would be great for the Pacers to operate. One, they could just do the pure salary dump. They could take on some cap space and maybe get a first-round pick or additional money uh, we just saw this with Noah Vonley, the former IU, uh, the former IU product, going from Boston to San Antonio. Boston basically paying the Spurs to take on the contract to waive the contract. Uh, that's something the Pacers, uh, for instance, could do. Although I will note right now, 
they don't have any roster spots to do that. So they would have to, to move a guy or they, they would have to uh, waive a guy. And I will say James Johnson, O'Shea Brissett, their contracts, they'll know whether those become fully guaranteed over the weekend, which I do expect for both. But that would be one flexibility. Um, but to take on a bad contract. And secondly, uh, the more intriguing option here, Greg, would be if there's a team willing to part ways with a couple of players or a notable player. I mean, a lot of people bring up the name OG Ananobi. I do not know if he's even available, but it's relative because he's an IU guy, sure. because he's a great wing defender, and because the Raptors were just here this week. Uh, if you could say they have three first-round picks this year, what if you parted ways with one of those, a late first-round pick and maybe something else, and were able to get OG Ananobi filling a position of need, a wing player, with an emphasis on defense, that would be really intriguing to me. It's just I don't know if he would, he or someone of his like will become available. Again, Scott Agnes, Fieldhouse Files. You can catch his work now at 1075thefan.com. Nice enough to join us again on the Mower Shop guest line. Greg Rakestraw in with you here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. So if you're Rick Carlisle, what concerns you about this bunch right now? Oh, I, I think – I think the mental focus down the stretch the other night, I didn't really like how they kind of got away from what got them back into the game. I thought instead of playing more team ball, it kind of got away from that and towards isolation ball um, there. Uh, I think he has to be um, – he has to really like the fact the way Tyrese Halliburton has united these guys and how, how everyone is playing well around them. Um, things that would concern him, though, right now, how about Chris Duarte coming back from injury – after rolling his ankle, he rolled it again a couple games ago uh, and just has not found his groove back since he scored 30 points the day before rolling his ankle. Uh, he's missed his last 15 shots over the last four games. And right now, because of their depth on the wing, I think he's just trying to figure out and feel his way. Where does he fit in with this group? Um, also, I'd still like to find some kind of playing time for Isaiah Jackson. Like Duarte, he was a first-round pick. The team is very high on him. Is there a way to find him some playing time? It's a good problem to have, certainly. Uh, but, again, this team is not a contending roster. Therefore, I think you also have to somewhat have the future in mind, and a lot of that goes down to getting guys these valuable reps, playing together, and just getting time out on the floor. Tyrese Halliburton going to be an all-star a few weeks from now? I do. I, I do think so. Uh, I kind of laugh at the fan voting because more than anything, we all know it's a popular vote. Sure. Because many of them absolutely should be in there, the popular names like LeBron and KD. But there will there'll always be another name or two that are like, wait, what? oh, he plays for this. <laughs> right. Whatever. Uh, right. Uh, so even ahead of Tyrese Halliburton right now is Trey Young. That doesn't make sense to me. Also ahead of him. Uh, is LaMelo Ball. He missed a lot of time with injury. So what it will come down to, and this was fully expected, is the vote of the head coaches. The fans, along with a, a, another part of the vote with media and players, help help uh, vote in the starters. The coaches determine the reserves. And seeing the Pacers' success and seeing how Tyrese Halliburton is the engine behind it, I would be stunned if Tyrese is not a first-time also. The Portland Trail Blazers are a team that Pacers fans think about twice a year. Tonight's one of those nights with the Blazers coming to town. Um, thoughts on, on what we'll see tonight, matchups, expectations, et cetera. Yeah, it's always fun when you have one of the top, one of the better players in the league and Damian Lillard coming through. He's one of those guys that you, you might see some magic. 
you might see a 40-point game. So if you're the Pacers, you want to keep keep him down to 30 or below, even though scoring is way up across the league right now. Their second top scorer, Jeremy Grant, he's questionable with a, a quad injury. So I'll be curious if he plays. But in terms of the Pacers, mostly a full bill of health. I'm curious just in general how they'll respond to that overtime and loss in Philly, a game they should have won, made some mental mistakes down the stretch, didn't execute. And so with a young team, this is another you know checkpoint I like, Greg, is how does the team respond after or after something like that hits them a couple games ago? All right, finally, before we let you go, I have you do some little forecasting here because there obviously are now you know two different tiers of the conversation when it comes to are you a playoff team? The fact that the Pacers are in the conversation at all, again, is not what we expected going into the year, but they've now been in it long enough where we're going to have those conversations for the remainder of the year. Right now, they are tied with the Knicks for the final non-play-in spot. They're on the 6-7 line, 21-18. and 18. Six, you know you're in. Seven, you got to win a game or two just to ensure that, that you are truly a playoff team. What will their record need to be? Not just to be in the top 10, but to be in the top six by the time we get to the middle of April. I think you're probably shooting for about 47 wins, Greg, maybe 45. Uh, right around that line. It's just so darn competitive right there. Right. Six games separating number one Boston and where the Pacers are at. Just six games. Usually there's a lot more separation. It makes you wonder, you know, will Boston even finish with 55, 55 wins? Probably over 50, certainly. But what will be the high end is what I'm wondering. And with 27 wins, Boston's kind of setting that mark. But it's probably going to take that 46, 47 wins and – to their credit right now, the Pacers, at least on track or, or around that 45 mark, which is what they were doing annually for three, four, five years in a row. But on the other side of it, though, it's interesting because that's kind of what they were trying to get away from. Right. You're winning enough to be notable, but not to contend and not to have a good draft pick. So I think in about five weeks from now, we'll have a much better idea of what this team might finish out with, whether the roster's tweaked at all and what the end game might be for this specific season but you're largely doing it with young guys you can build on and the idea being those kit players will continue to improve that's part of why you know you can say hey you didn't want to be in the seven eight nine ten conversation all of a sudden with a different roster you now are in that conversation that's not a bad thing at all uh for this franchise scotty as always you know, th- go ahead buddy I was just going to say, and there is some value to these big game experiences. Right. Uh, the playoff type games, I should say, too, because Rick keeps referencing it. Because keep in mind, Buddy Heald's been in the league, what, 10 years? Hasn't played in a playoff game. Tyrese, year three, hasn't played in a playoff game. Most of this roster, at least the guys that contribute daily, have not. So that's why the games against Philly, uh, their one national TV game, and a potential playoff series. Even if they're wiped out in round one, that would be the one value point to it. Um, but there's several other layers to it, obviously. Yeah, and again, as, as I look at it, I could literally just go up and down the roster and say, obviously, Tyrese Halliburton is a franchise cornerstone player. Benedict Matherin is a franchise cornerstone player. Andrew Nemhart is going to be a rotation piece for this group mm-hmm. for some time. Uh, I think Aaron Neesmith is, is going to be one of those guys. Again, I, I think that Malcolm Brogdon trade will likely be known as the Neesmith trade from the Indiana perspective because of what he has done. You know, Buddy Heald is doing exactly what I think Pacers fans and the Pacers brass hoped he would. Sticks is getting there. Is Smith there? You really have at this point 
I think, five or six guys, maybe even more than that, that you know Mm -hmm. that are rotational pieces going forward. And the fact that you have hit warp speed in terms of a rebuilding program and now you're talking about adding a piece or two and knowing you frankly have the salary cap room to do it, Pacers are in good shape, buddy. Pacers are in really good shape. Yeah, I mean, who who, who imagined Andrew Nemhard playing 15 minutes yeah. per game? Nonetheless, now he started almost 25 games as a rookie guard and done a great job specifically defensively. There's just so many things in this season nobody, I think, could have expected. We knew Nemhard was the standout player in training camp. But what does that mean for a rookie guy? Maybe that means he works his way into the rotation to begin the year, and that's it. Again, thanks, buddy. Appreciate your time and insights. Enjoy the game tonight. All right, very good, Greg. Thank you. Scott Agnes, again, Fieldhouse Files. You can catch his work now at 1075thefan.com and all of our guest lines. Again, all of our guests are brought to us on the Mower Shop guest line, Mower Shop and Fishers, and MowerShop.com. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. I don't have to do much talking in this segment either because uh, Kevin Bowen will be providing the insights and analysis here, courtesy of the Mower Shop in Fishers on our guest line. I guess all things fair, I was on your show this morning. You can be on mine this afternoon. How about that? I had no idea this morning, Ray, that I'd be returning the favor a little bit later. So happy to hear your voice again. Oh, you're welcome. And, and you missed it last week. What I, I, I tend to keep things you know, close to the vest, not in terms of my opinions, but like factoids about me. So, like, last Friday I was on the show and it was my birthday and the guys didn't realize it. I didn't say a word about it. Same thing this morning. I knew I was going to be hosting the afternoon show and neglected to say anything about it to you. So, with that being said, how was Colts practice today? Uh, it was <laughs> it was a bit odd, you know, just to, from the standpoint of, like, there's the finality that I feel kind of every year with a rake and you're just out there and you're thinking, wow, there are so many of these guys that will not be back at all um you know you're looking at matt ryan and you're thinking is this his last ever nfl practice right um i i, I look at ben banagu and i think t- for a second wow that dude really played out his entire rookie contract here in indianapolis um you think of free agents you know paris campbell came out for practice and he almost kind of wanted to give him a little bit of a standing ovation for everything that he's been through in his career and looks like he's going to play in every single game this year so i don't know i found myself just kind of like having those thoughts and feelings and of course you you look out there just Saturday and think, um, is this it for him? So, uh, and we saw Chris Ballard. We, we, we usually don't see Chris Ballard at practice um, during the media availability, at least. Uh, he was out there today. I think actually uh, some of your high school coaches were out there, some of the state final coaches um, from this past November. So they were uh, watching Colts practice with Chris Ballard today. So with that, um, again, this is kind of more more for us, but normally – uh, especially when you know when the season's going to be over, there is a Monday kind of the video is showing guys cleaning out their lockers, and there's kind of a postmortem, you know, with the head coach. But since this is an interim head coach wrapping up the season, the first time we've had that well since well before you and I were on the beat, uh, you know, back in 1991. What exactly is Monday going to look like on 56th Street? So yeah, it'll be locker room clean out day. So we'll talk to, you know, a variety of players for the final time. Um, and then Jeff Saturday um, is scheduled to meet the media. Um, and it'll be the last time we hear from Saturday on that interim basis. And of course, the Colts have already stated um, that they will be conducting 
uh, and they have to, but they will be conducting a full head coaching search after that. Um, the biggest question you have is just when do we hear from Chris Ballard, I guess. Um, and, and maybe when do we hear from Jim Irsay? You know, I'm not expecting to hear from Irsay necessarily, but will we get anything more than a thank you Colts fans tweet, you know, after the game? Um, you know, Ballard, and this goes for every GM around the league, um, I believe it's a two-week period once the season ends, um, the GM has to meet the media. Typically for Ballard, he usually meets uh, – Thursday, this coming Thursday, so six days from now, is when he has typically had his end-of-season presser. Um, now, I, I think it's worth mentioning, um, I think back to after the 2015 season, if I'm not mistaken, Ryan Grigson met the media in his normal end-of-season presser, uh, and then he was fired about three weeks later. So, you know, I, I don't think it's necessarily a slam dunk like we hear from Ballard at 110% means he's coming back with Jim Mercy. I think you truly never know. But that's a little bit of the lay of the land for next week. We'll hear from Saturday on Monday. We'll hear from players. That's it for them. Ballard may be mid to late next week. We'll see. Um, but outside of that, I think we're kind of at the mercy of a Jim Mercy announcement because Ballard is under contract for four more years. So, I mean, you don't need to announce anything. It's not like he's up and, and you need to say, oh, yeah, we're signing into a new contract, you know, from a technical standpoint. And, you know, nothing needs to be said publicly on that front. From a free agent perspective – and, and, and I guess not even pursuing other teams' free agents, but the ones who are out of contract here, like some of the guys I just mentioned in the last segment of the show, and you know exactly who those guys are that I'm talking about. How does that process look different if it's not Chris Ballard? I mean, we, we can talk about, hey, we think this guy's back, we think this guy isn't. Isn't all of that going to come down to whom the GM is going to be and then whom the head coach is going to be and then whom the coordinators are going to be. So, in other words, any sort of speculative conversation as to, hey, I think this guy's back or that guy's gone, we kind of need to hold off on that, right? Yeah, I think it's a great point. Um, there's a domino effect, a trickle-down effect that's going to impact every play on this roster. Um, if Chris Ballard is gone – I don't think there's a single safe person on the roster. I mean, sure, there are guys that are safer than most, but, you know, if you're a new GM and you walk in here and you say, oh, wow, you know, you guys are paying a guard that much money. Um, wow, DeForest Buckner makes that. Um, you know, Jonathan Taylor's do this contract extension. You know, there's, there's just natural skepticism, difference of philosophies, all of those things. Maybe if you, had, you hired from within – you know, maybe it would be a little bit of a different story, but particularly if you go outside of your building, um, there's going to be a highly scrutinized roster, uh, particularly from a contractual standpoint, and saying that guy does not meet the value that I want for how I view the roster building process, particularly because I think Ballard does it in a really different way from a lot of GMs around the league. And then I think you make a great point, Rake, of, the head coach coordinator aspect to it. Like Yanni Kangakwe is a free agent. If Gus Bradley still the defensive coordinator who has had Yanni Kangakwe with them in three different stops now, you would think that's good news for Ngakwe right. coming back. But if he's not, Ngakwe's 230-some pounds soaking wet, doesn't really play on rundowns, he's not going to be as attractive, I think, to some other defensive systems. I don't think he would have been attractive to Matt Eberflus's defensive system, for, for example. So – I think it's a really good thing to keep in mind. Um, you know, you and I had this discussion a little bit earlier. As much as I think Bobby Okereke has had a really nice season, I just don't think financially he fits into your puzzle. Um, you, you're already paying Shaquille Leonard a whole lot, and, and it's not like anyone's going to take that contract necessarily 
off your hands, considering his health situation, is that Air Franklin is, you know, exceeding the contract that he signed back in January. The linebacker that I would probably bring back would be EJ Speed. Um, I think Speed has shown enough in kind of limited opportunities that he deserves, you know, potentially to have a starting opportunity. Now, again, we'll see what the system looks like and all of that. Uh, but that is a huge storyline, and that's why I, I wouldn't consider – I mean, sure, you have guys that are on rookie deals that certainly will be here, but if, if and when you do bring in a new general manager, no one, no one is safe. Again, Kevin Bowen on the MowerShop.com hotline. Greg Rakestraw with you at the Midday Show here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Um, one guy that the decision might be his could be Chris Ballard, whomever, uh, that we didn't bring up is Stephon Gilmore. He's under contract for next year. Now, it, it's a it's a contract that is easily escapable. Um, so, so I guess even before we talk about before what, what the future looks like for him, what would you describe this year for Stephon Gilmore? Did the Colts get their money's worth out of the guy wearing number five? Easily. Okay. Easily. Um, you know, Rick, if you and I would have had this conversation in July, I would have probably brought up some skepticism with Gilmore's health, his availability. Um, you know, 32-year-old corners, I don't know if we really realize it, that is pretty ancient in the NFL. There are not many 32-year-old corners, let alone, let alone those playing on the outside. And, and that's Gilmore, and he's a guy that did not play a lot last season, was on a pitch count for long stretches uh, when he was with Carolina late last year. Um, again, we're talking lower body injuries, which you know can affect, obviously, speed a whole lot. Uh, so I felt like there was a good chance that Gilmore might be on a consistent pitch count here. Um, he's so far 16 games into it. That guy has played every single snap in 15 of those 16 games. He missed 10 snaps against Kansas city in week three. And that was it. So just from an availability standpoint, thoroughly impressed by what he gave you. And then look at what he did and kind of the Mariano Rivera role, if you will, and closing out the Kansas city game, Closing out the Denver game, closing out the Raiders game, you know, I mean, those are three or four wins right there. So, uh, yeah, easily to me, he gave you, you know, great return. And, again, kudos to Chris Ballard because I was curious how cornerback would would evolve over the course of the offseason. You know, with Xavier Rhodes no longer here and then the Rocky scene trade, that, that opened up some, some questions at cornerback. And I think Gilmore has been, you know, one of the top, whatever, four or five best Colts this season. Now. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Do you think Stefan wants to come back here next year? And he's not the he's a, he's a friendly person. He's not the he's not not you know doesn't speak a lot with the media. Does is the most expansive talker uh, in terms of uh, those conversations. Do you think he wants to come back here, or do you think he'd prefer to go someplace else? Where in theory he's got a better chance of winning another ring. Yeah, I, I wouldn't see why he would want to come back. It's not like he has immense ties to people in the locker room, the organization, and or Gus Bradley. Um, you know, honestly, if I were him, I, I probably would have been a little bit more, and this shows you the type of pe- person I am than who he is probably, I probably would have been a little bit more vocal around the trade deadline and say, whoa, we're benching Matt Ryan, we're right. firing Marcus Brady, we're firing Frank Reich. Um, <laughs> you want to move me for for a draft pick and get me, 
on a contending team to close out the season. Uh, so I, I would think, you know, and I would think he'd be attractive to kind of a win-now team and saying, all right, Colts, we will take that contract, which, as you alluded to, Ray, doesn't have a whole lot on it for one more year. We will take that off your plate. We'll give you some sort of mid-ish round pick, and we'll bring him here, and, you know, he can maybe be kind of our chase-the-ring type of guy. He obviously already has one with New England, but still – um, I, I could very well see that play out like that. Because again, again, that that is the again we're we're trying to put. I'm not trying to put words in his mouth, but just trying to read the tea leaves, thinking that is potentially the player's wishes. But let's point this out: it's not like that contract is huge from a cap space standpoint, and it's also not like we think the Colts are going to break the bank in terms of free agency. Um, you know, for, for the upcoming offseason. It's not exactly a bad contract they're trying to get out of. It's just, hey, does the player really want to be here again? Because we're not exactly sure what this team is going to look like. And we're also trying to project things where if it's Chris Ballard as the general manager or it's not Chris Ballard as the general manager, having no idea whom the head coach of this team is going to be at this point next year. But regardless of what those two spots look like, the Colts are drafting a quarterback in one of those first-round picks between spots three and six, correct? Well, yeah, maybe even trade up uh, higher than that. Uh, you, you would hope that would be the case. I, I, I think it'll be the case. Um, I, I guess you never truly know. Um, but, yeah, I, obviously that'll be the dominant storyline here over the next couple of months. We'll find out. Sunday exactly where they're going to be slotted and then again um, I'm very interested to see how the number one pick turns out I mean right now it's Houston Chicago's number two Chicago's playing you know Nathan Peterman against the Vikings Uh, Houston's playing Davis Mills against the Colts you give Houston the far better chance to win that game than you would the Bears and if that happens Houston wins and Chicago loses they have the number one pick and Chicago's gonna sit there for the next three months and say all right who wants it who wants to have the quarterback choice? Because uh, I think that's now the question. I, I don't know if we're, you know, again, we'll see how the next few months play out. Um, but it, it seems like it could be a, do you like Bryce Young or do you like C.J. Stroud? Right. Who do you like better? And that will be the number one pick. And then whoever can slot into that second quarterback selection spot, you'll get the other guy. And then we'll see if Will Levis can make any noise for himself to move into that mix as well. Um, so that is a storyline to certainly keep an eye on. Obviously, the Colts have their own draft position to worry about coming up on Sunday. But Houston and then Chicago, you know, they have a whole lot at stake as well. Chicago, of course, doesn't need a QB. Um, I do think it's really beneficial that they are sitting there sure. as a potential trade candidate. Because I, I, I want to stress, Matt Eberflus was not a Frank Reich hire from Philadelphia. Matt Eberflus was a Chris Ballard hire to pair with Josh McDaniels. Ballard really likes Eberflus, has liked him before, all of those things. And so when you think about the connection with the Bears organization, um, yes, Matt Eberflus is not their general manager, but Chris Ballard has some of that um, based off of that connection with Eberflus. So, you know, when you mention the name Stephon Gilmore, honestly, the, the, the cornerback name that I think of that has a very friendly contract, and we know there are some contract issues with Indy this year, but Kenny Moore has a very tradable contract. And we know what Matt Eberflus has thought about Kenny Moore. So I think that is something to keep in mind when you get around to late April. Can you throw any players in there, in particular any defensive players in there, 
that might be enticing to two Matt Eberflus. I'm not saying that the fifth pick in Kenny Moore would get you to the second pick. You'd probably have to throw in a nice draft pick along with that. But I do think that is something that should be on some people's radar. So when do you go scout mode? When are you starting to digest tapes of, if not Bryce Young, uh, Will Levis and C.J. Stroud? Yeah, I mean, you got to start it pretty soon. Um, I'll give Bryce Young some credit, Rake, and I don't know, part of me is kind of a shame that, like, we have to give guys credit for this, but welcome to college football in the year 2022, and Purdue fans certainly saw it. But Bryce Young played in a yep. bowl game. Yep. <laughs> I mean, he did, he did not need to do that. That was not a playoff bowl game. Will Levis did not play in his bowl game, and Bryce Young played really well. Um, you know, what I was saying a little bit earlier in the week was, C.J. Stroud in the college football semifinal, he was able to answer the biggest questions about him. Bryce Young is just not able to answer the biggest question about him because it's his height. Right. Um, So C.J. Stroud, it's not, you know, some sort of physical makeup characteristic. It's more of a, hey, could you create, could you make some plays with your legs? When a lot more is thrown on your plate, you're in a huge environment. You're playing against an SEC defense, one of the best in college football, if not the best. How do you react? And C.J. Stroud, of course, answered that with with absolutely flying colors. I really like Bryce Young. I think he's very dynamic. The height does not worry me, as as maybe some others. Uh, but at the same time, C.J. Stroud, boy, that was really, really impressive what he did on Saturday night. So I think if you were a Colts fan, you'd be pretty happy with either. Again, knowing the Colts are picking somewhere between three and six, barring a trade, Knowing there are, again, this will change over the course of the next three months, I am sure, but knowing there are generally three top quarterbacks to be considered and not all the teams in front of the Colts need a quarterback, as you well put, the Bears are clearly the team most likely to shop a pick because they know they seem to have the quarterback position answered. It's everything else that the Bears have to worry about at this point. If I said a percentage chance the Colts take a quarterback with their first-round pick, what percentage would you give that as of January the 6th? Boy, I 70, and, and if I were running the operation or wanting the Colts to go in a different or to go in a particular direction, it would be 99.9. Right. I, I just enough is enough. Um, you know, it, I've been clamoring for it for, for years in that, you know, when you go the band-age route, when you go the stopgap route, what you do is you, you create a ceiling on how much long-term growth you can have. Um, and it's a very short-term approach. Honestly, the Rams are feeling some of this right now. Now, the Rams obviously got their Super Bowl, but it, it's almost kind of Super Bowl or bust when you go the route that the Rams went or the Bucks went, and, of course, both of them were, were, were able to win those Super Bowls. But the Colts, I mean, that, that's – when you are starting a 37-year-old quarterback and you know that guy's not going to be here for longer than a couple of years – you are all in um, to a degree on what you think your expectations should be in the short term, and that's why I said several times throughout the off or throughout the season, when you're bad in the NFL, you better be young at quarterback. Right. The Colts are bad and they're old at quarterback, and that's an awful recipe for a season. The Chicago Bears fan base they can live with this year because they hope that the Justin Fields season is. You know, maybe like, I don't know, 98 was for Peyton Manning and the Colts when it was an awful season from a record standpoint. Peyton threw the most picks of any rookie quarterback in the league, but he was certainly worth it when you look at what happened in 99 and then obviously how that next decade 
um, unfolded from there. So as much as I think Jim Irsay mandating things has gotten this organization in a pretty sticky situation, he better mandate the drafting of the quarterback because until you do that, I just think you stunt the growth of your franchise. And I don't know how the playoffs are going to play out in the AFC rake, but if you look at these teams right now, I mean, look at all the AFC playoff teams. They're virtually all drafted quarterbacks in the first round. They're virtually all drafted by the teams that they currently play for, and they're all pretty much high picks. And one thing that I do want to mention, because I often hear this, you know, Chris Ballard has not had the opportunity to draft his quarterback. I think it's a kind of a lazy excuse, and it's giving Ballard a bit of an out. If you look at the three teams that have probably been the most consistent in the AFC over the last handful of years, in some order, you'd put Kansas City, Buffalo, and Baltimore. Kansas City traded up, I think it was 27 spots to get Patrick Mahomes. Buffalo traded up on two separate occasions to get into the top 10, and therefore they drafted Josh Allen. And Baltimore, they traded up, I think it was 20 spots to draft Lamar Jackson at the end of the first round. So expecting the quarterback to fall into your lap or saying just because you have the 20th pick, you can't draft the quarterback. Again, I think it's kind of a lazy excuse. Uh, you've got to go get that guy. And that's why, you know, when you mentioned to me earlier, you know, three, four, five, six. Yeah. That's a nice spot to be in. But if you love a guy and you don't think he's getting out of one or two, we won't complain in five or 10 years that you gave up an extra first round pick. If that guy's the right guy. So after Monday, now what? I'm not talking about the Colts. I'm talking about for you. You have a daily radio show. I know this from <laughs> 7 to 10, but you, you know you, you kind of still have that Colts beat rider DNA. We're waiting for stuff to happen potentially on Monday. After that, you get like you know, like like 21 hours you know of your life back each day. How are you handling this? Yeah, that is a great question. As you know, we, we have a young son right now, Max. He's about four months old. So um, it'll be definitely a good amount of daycare duty. Uh, in the afternoon, picking up Max and Rosie on that front. Uh, but from a daily routine standpoint, it changes a whole lot. Um, I am welcome w- with that. Still producing daily content for our website, 107.5 The Fan. He'll probably venture over to the Pacers a little bit as well. I mean, during the football season, it's definitely not something that I do a whole lot. So I have to check them out. And as you know, Rake, the news cycle uh, doesn't take many off moments in the NFL, particularly in the month of January, particularly when it's a head coaching search and maybe even a GM search. Uh, so, yeah, there will be quieter moments, but probably not as many as maybe I would think or like. All right. Um, it, it is so secondary at this point. You and I are 21 minutes into a conversation, and I, and I now finally asked you, what are we going to see Sunday afternoon? Um, so, and feel for, for, you know, to be expansive on that because again, it's two thirteen and one versus four eleven and one. Two teams know they are picking in the top six, and one of them, whom the worst case scenario is they're picking second in the upcoming NFL draft. What are your expectations for Sunday? You know, it, it, if I can for a second, I can go a little sentimental. Um, a couple things I'd like to see, and maybe this is league wide, but. I'd love to see before the game starts the Jumbotron show both teams' medical staff um, <laughs> to start Sunday's game. And, and I think just kind of in honor of what sure. um, the Bills assistant athletic trainer was able to, to perform on DeMar Hamlin, I think that would be a pretty cool moment. I'd love to see Rodney Thomas, his high school teammate, maybe wear jersey number three, maybe be the last Colt player announced before the game starts. Maybe he records an interception, something like that. Um, you know, kind of non-Hamlin division. 
I mean, what an opportunity for Sam Ellinger. You know, I, could Sam Ellinger be the backup next year? Um, you know, I, I feel like that's a question that's worth asking. Um, it's an opportunity for him. You know, Matt Ryan and Nick Foles probably don't want to be here contractually. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense either for them to be here. So, you know, it's a great opportunity for Ellinger. Obviously, you have some milestone-type stuff. Zaire Franklin going for the franchise record in tackles. I, I think he's really close to breaking that. Uh, Michael Pittman, can he get – to a thousand yards, um, but outside of that, I mean, I, I, I fully acknowledge what people care about the most, and that is they want to see a loss. They want to see this team um, with a loss. They guarantee a top five pick, so they want to make sure that they are in that top five. And to be honest with you, Rake, with a few minutes left in the fourth quarter, I'll probably start heading down just <laughs> in case Jim Mercy uh, has a willingness to. Uh, to have a little bit of a chat after the game, so we'll see uh, how all of that unfolds. As always, thanks for the time, my friend. I'll see you on Sunday. Rank, enjoy Ben Davis and see you tonight. Have a great weekend. I will see you Sunday. Thanks, buddy. Kevin Bowen, of course, of 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan and 107.5 TheFan.com. His appearance on the Mower Shop in Fishers Hotline, themowershop.com for all your snowblowers, commercial and residential mowers, plus service and power tools. Our fu- Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Final guest on the uh, more Shop in Fishers guest line. And I haven't said this in like 10 years. The football coach at Marion University. It's Ted Karras that joins us now. How are you, my friend? I'm doing better than good, Greg. How are you doing? I'm I'm doing fine. And and my, I thought about this. No one's gonna. I planned this conversation out about a week or so ago. It, did it require hell to officially freeze over for you to once again be the head football coach at Marion? <laughs> no, no. The, the spot, the opportunity just came open and. Things kind of worked out and really happy and blessed to be back. For those that don't know, after Ted won the national championship in Marion in 2012, took a job at Walsh University, Canton, Ohio, Division II, and after four years there, then has been out of coaching, done a variety of things. But this year, you had become an assistant coach at Marion's longest rival in St. Francis in Fort Wayne. So as you were coaching on the sidelines against the Knights in October – did you think this was a possibility? I wasn't thinking about that at the time at all, no. And I'm, you know, grateful to Coach Sherman and uh, for thinking about me to get me up there and obviously Coach Donnelly to getting back into it. Because, yeah, I was doing some recruiting for uh, next college student athlete and, um, you know, really taking in the pro, pro game. You know, sure. I, I think that, yeah, that timeout was really valuable to observe and go, you know, and I call it the New England Patriot Tour, you know, and, and see some how Bill Belichick operates, and I get to see how Zach Taylor, and just take it from a different view. And, uh, yeah, so, no, to answer your question, nope, I did, wasn't thinking about that time, but I'm certainly happy to be back on the west side now. There are, there are a couple different ways of, of kind of, you know, change, look at the paradigm. So let, let me start with you first. How do you feel you're a different coach than when you were here 10 years ago? 
Um, I don't know. I'm going to be terribly different, but I, I think, though, yeah, there's, I've learned some different maybe methods of how to handle situations, especially from a, a guy like Zach Taylor, I'd say. Um, but I'm still going to be the same player-centric coach that, that I was before. I'm always going to have my open-door policy to my players' open-cell policy. I'm a positive motivator, and we're going to be you know, disciplinarians with some compassion. But, um, yeah, we'll see. The only time will tell on that, Greg. How is the program different from when you left it 10 years ago, knowing they've got a, a second red banner, as they're known in the NAI parlance? And obviously, they've been awfully good. You know, three straight runs, at least to the quarterfinals of the NAI round. How is that a different place that you're stepping back foot on campus than it was when you left in early 2013? Well, yeah, well, I left We left the national, as a national champion, so no, the, the teams have been good, you know, but the ultimate goal here is to get the red banner, and it's a high standard, a standard we set, you know, back in 12. So that's a different kind of challenge, but, you know, I, I was just thinking about that. You know, it's a lot nicer to have that than to have no players, no stadium, no right. locker room, no coaches. So, <laughs> you know, I'm really – and I'm really looking forward to getting to meet, uh, the, you know, the team, the current team. Um, I met some of the players already, came out to the press conference and through my last week here, but um, really excited to get to know them and coach them up and be a mentor as well as a coach. I know that any of the guys that you coach either before, you know, at Rose Holman, Andre and Mary and even Walsh, et cetera, are happy that you have this job and are back to being a head coach. I think I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask it as well. One of the ultimate places where you're going to get buy-in is from head coaches in this state, from a high school standpoint. And obviously, you have known a lot of those guys for a long time. What's the feedback you've gotten from that group about once again being in charge of the Marion program? Great feedback. You know, everywhere from Gary Westside down to Evansville, you know, and uh, you know, high school coaches are lifeblood of recruiting. Um, and I'm excited to be back. And even when I was, you know, doing some recruiting for St. Francis, you know, just the over the years, Greg, of all, you know, where I've been, I, I felt I knew someone at every high school I was at. People still there, and it's uh, it's been nice and, and really um, humbling, and, and it's very been a nice reception. Really appreciate it. All right, so you touched on it yourself. Uh, while you were gaining some intel and observing coaches, most importantly, you were being a dad. Um, you know, you and I talked to me either, either last year or the year before about you potentially doing some broadcast work with me at ISC. But it was like, hey – First things first, I'm going to watch my son play in the National Football League, which is something so few dads slash coaches have the luxury to do. So simply put, how many years is this now for Teddy in the National Football League? He's on his seventh year. He uh, yeah, four with the Patriots, one with the Dolphins, one back with the Patriots, and now we're in year seven with the Cincinnati Bengals. Just where do you begin to describe what that is like to say that your kid, as a guy that, that, that got to play in the NFL so briefly – What's it like yeah. to see him now playing in year number seven? Uh, just really proud of him, man. He's worked hard for it, too, you know. Came in as a six-round draft pick for the Patriots. He actually started his first game with the Patriots due to an injury, but, you know, he wasn't an all-time starter. But he worked his way up, man, kept learning. You know, Dante Skarnecchia, the legendary offensive line coach for the Patriots, was big in his development, um, I think, and he thinks so, too. And just, just really proud of him, where he carries himself, you know, he's elected captain, you know, the Bengals, you know, only being there a short period of time. And it's just been a blast to be able to go to different stadiums and, and you know, watch him play. And certainly now he's in two hours away from Indy, man, so he can't beat that. <laughs> I'd say your frequent flyer miles have gone downhill this year, but but the ability to get back and forth uh, much quicker has been. Uh, uh, were you there on Monday night, I assume? 
I was, Greg, yeah. And um, it was horrifying and shocking. And, um, you know, I'm just so happy that, uh, you know, that DeMar is speaking and back and looks like he's going to be, you know, okay from what we're hearing. And that's big kudos to the medical staff that were there that day. And, you know, just talking to my son over the last few days, you know, his voice today compared to other, you know, earlier in the week is different. I just watched his interview he did. Yeah, he said his spirit has been restored. I mean, everyone's has. I mean, that was just tragic, horrible. I pray all the time for the health, safety, protection of the players. And uh, it was was surreal and unreal. And um, just so happy that uh, DeMar is doing so much better. Well, again, it was circumstance in terms of your son being so close to that play. But it was not lost on me that the first person that I saw take a knee as that play basically just finished was your son, who was about five yards away, uh, you know, for, for, from from as that play happened. And I realize that that this is I'm not asking you to bring up a, a great memory here. I understand that, but but is is there? There's nothing like that that so many of us have seen. I mean, I, I can quote the player from the Lions that, that died of heart failure in 1971. But in terms of your days as a player or a coach, anything come close to that in terms of an injury scare or a health scare during a game, during a practice, et cetera? No, no, it was unprecedented for a lot of people, me included. And yet Ted was right there and he did. And we have, you know, we've always had great respect for anyone that has, you know, the courage to put on a football helmet, you know, and, you know, they're, they're modern day gladiators, man. It is a, you know, violent, tough sport. And but, you know, we, you know, commend anyone that has, like I said, the courage to put on a helmet. And when he saw that and took a knee and was just praying for him immediately. All right. How are it's not an easy transition to make, but on on the kind of happier tones. How are hat sales coming along for the Cincy hat? The Cincy hat sales have been going going good. What really spurred it on early, though, was the coming off the field after the Tennessee game. So sales really spiked at that point. But, no, they've done an awesome job raising money for the village of Marici. I think they raised over, you know, $300,000. Wow. Um, yeah, and people, you know, loving the hats. And it was just a organic thing that happened. You know, he just wanted to give a, something to his new teammates in Cincy, and everyone started asking about it. And then, you know, it just took off from there, and it's really benefited, uh, you know, a great – organization at the village of Marizzi. So for, for those that don't know, um, the village of Marizzi often help helps those that are, are disabled or adults with, with, with challenges. And so that it, it's a program to give back and to get them more included in the community. Um, and, and Teddy, uh, basically devised this Cincy hat. There's three or four different styles. My wife, who happens to be a proud Cincinnati native, even though I've, I've forced her to live in Indianapolis with me over the course <laughs> of the last three decades, this sudden resurgence in the Bengals has suddenly had a resurgence in her Cincinnati pride. So one of the Christmas gifts that she got was the Cincy hat, as you have the photographic evidence of that, and she has been yeah. digging. I'm sure she'll be breaking it out uh, coming up for upcoming playoff games. So I assume you've gotten wind of this, that there is actually a chance that the AFC championship game is played here in Indianapolis? I, no, I haven't I haven't got any wind of it. I had to, my son called me with some news. Is this what you're talking about? So here, so here is, here's the scenario. Um, Indianapolis is up for consideration – for a neutral site AFC championship game. Basically, wow. if it is a combination of the Bengals, uh, if if they win, in other words, if they're a half game behind either the Bills 
or the Chiefs, the AFC Championship game will be played at a neutral site. In other words, if like wow. the game that didn't get played on Monday would have affected the tiebreaker, if those teams could have been on level footing, that could have been a uh, that could there'll be a neutral site game, and Indy is a leading candidate. In other words, if if it's Bills Chiefs, or if it's Bills Bengals or Chiefs, and the two teams are a half game apart, then that go, that game will go to a neutral site, and they could easily be here. So that may be the news that Teddy was calling you about. <laughs> I think it was, yeah. I had to cut him off. I said I'll call him back later, but I think that was that's what it was. Wow. Well, if if my phone call was the reason you cut him off. Call your son back uh, and, and, and let's go catch up with family. Buddy, it is it is good to catch up with you here. I want to make sure he gave you a little time knowing I was going to be in this chair today. Looking forward to seeing you in person very soon, and welcome back to Indianapolis full-time. Thank you, Greg, for having me on. So great to be back at Marion University and looking forward to seeing you, man. You got it, buddy. Ted Karras again. He is once again back as the head football coach at Marion, and yes, he is busy on the recruiting trail but he's also busy being a dad, and the Bengals will be in action uh, with the Ravens. And again, that game obviously has some playoff implications coming up to it as well. Ted and all of our guests today on the Mower Shop in Fisher's guest line.